word here this morning. It reads as follows. Revelation 6 verse 1 says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living, four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Seven, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When it opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, who can stand Amen. You may now be seated. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor that we get to be here today. Because we have to, it's because we get to be here today. Thank you for the reading of your word, Lord. Let me speak without error, Lord. Use me today to preach accurately, Lord, your word that goes forth from what is the judgment that has come to the earth and the total depravity of man and the rebelliousness of man. But yet, Lord, you have saved us from your wrath. You have pulled us from the doldrums of the pit and brought us in and has adopted us as children of God. Today, as we read this word, help it to be applicable to our lives as we apply it to our daily living. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, your son, amen. amen. 
in life, we always want to find out what's happening next. Some of you sometimes will watch movies or another friend of you, a friend of yours has watched a movie. You will probably watch that same movie, but then you will tell your friend, just don't tell me the end. I don't want to know the end because I plan on watching it. I want to be surprised with the ending. And usually in life, there are people who, who are enamored with, with knowing the truth. And, and is there an end? What is the end to my life? What will my life be like? And so we seek out different people like sorceries and mediums and tarot card readers and all these other people who seem to have knowledge of the future of what it would be like for you. So some people tend to go that way. But us as Christians, why we study the book of Revelation is very important because we understand what the book of Revelation is teaching us. It's teaching us the history of the church. Then Presently and in the future, what will happen? We know the beginning and the end of the story. We study this book to learn all of the trials and tribulation that the body of Christ goes to, goes through ultimately with the return of Christ. It's imminent. We believe the Lord will return. We believe the second coming will happen, that the Lord will return to subdue the earth and place his enemies under his footstool. Amen. We believe this. So like in life, when, when we study this book, we, we are well aware of what the end is going to be like. And so we're fascinated. We're fascinated with what part of history are we at with this book? So here, so far, we've been reading about chapters 4 and 5, about the vision of heaven. John's vision of heaven, what you see in heaven. We spoke about our worship and where we are weak in our worship. We spoke about what heaven will be like, how their worship is perfect. When you come to the house of God, you are coming to the house of God to worship Him. And when you get there to heaven, you will be worshiping Him there as well. So we get the, the vision from John and 4. And then in 5, we talked about the scroll and the lamb and, and, and Jesus appearing as the lamb of God that was slain, bloody and appearing, but conquering over his enemies. And we get the picture of heaven, the elders, the 24 elders, which is symbolic of the church praising God, the angels, the seraphim and the seraphim praising God, and those who had been slain praising God. Finally, you get to chapter 6. And this is the opening of the scroll. And we discussed in five what the scroll was and what it meant. It was like these seven wax scrolls upon, a, upon only one person that could open it. One person only alone could open that like it's a will. And the only one that could ever do it would be Jesus. His person, his work would be able to accomplish the fact that he and he alone is the only one that can open the scrolls. So keep that in mind. He is the one that opens the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, the fourth seal, the fifth seal, the sixth seal, and the seventh seal. He is the one that does it. And so you're getting a picture. You're getting a picture with these seals of why the earth is so corrupt. You're getting a picture of these seven seals of why people mistreat one another. Why there's famines. Why there's disease all throughout the world. Why the world is a dark place. And so you see this very thing. So in verse 1, follow along with me now. This is John speaking, Jesus speaking to John as he, as he writes these things down. He says in verse 1, it says, now I watched. So John is watching. He says, when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. It's very important to understand the lamb is Jesus. The lamb is Jesus. He opened one of the seven seals and he says, and I heard one 
of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So we know that this first vision of this horse, now, through, throughout um, American culture, through movies, through all type of things, you always hear the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You always hear about what these represent. Is there really a white, a, a white horse with a rider and it's riding around in the spiritual realm and it's riding around destroying and conquering? Or who is the one on the white horse? Is it the Antichrist? Who is it? Who is it? So you have this depiction. And so you have many movies made about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And people take this name and they'll use it for their wrestling title, the four horsemen. They'll take all these things and say, this is the four horsemen for this and, and so forth. Because they represent destruction. So this white horse that you see here, it's described here. Now, now just remember, when we read the book of Revelation, as it says in 1, Revelation 1, verse 1, it's, uh, it's written in apocalyptic literature. It's to be taken symbolically. And it's easier to understand when you know that the book is to be taken symbolically and not literally. Symbolically. Okay, so he says, now I watched the lamb open one of the seven seals and I heard one of the living creatures say with a voice like thunder, like a voice like thunder. So this living creature was powerful, had a voice like thunder. Come, verse two says, and I looked and behold a white horse. This is a symbol of peace. A white horse is a symbol of peace. And its rider had a bow, a bow. It had a bow, it had a weapon and had a crown. We know this is not the Lord. We know this is not the Lord because when you do exegesis of scripture here, this crown is not the diadem, not the diadem crown, but it's one of Stephanos. It's, it's a victor's crown, one who has won a victory, one who has won a war, and they wear this type of crown. And so we know this, this person riding a white horse is symbolic of your government leaders, people that are put in charge, presidents of different countries, dictators of different countries who rule and reign who rule and reign and they have a bow they have a weapon and a crown and it says it was given to him and he came out conquering was the crown taken no the crown was given to him given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer so he had bloodless maneuvers it was a bow he had a weapon but it doesn't say he had an arrow it says he has a bow he has a weapon he has the authority to cast judgment on another country the authority to take blood from someone. The authority to rule and reign over another country. So this is what you have here. Someone who's in charge. Someone who's a dictator. Someone who's ruling and reigning. So here at this particular time, I want you guys to remember when John was, was writing this letter, there was a person named Nero at the time who, were, who was persecuting Christians. And I told you about what Nero was doing to Christians. Lighting them up, lighting them up on fire persecuting them. Remember Polycarp and, the, and when I told you about the church of Smyrna who Polycarp was and Polycarp was the pastor of Smyrna and of the church of Smyrna and what did they do to Polycarp? They boiled him in a, in a bronze bull. And even John was boiled. John was boiled. And he didn't die though but imagine what he felt like being boiled in oil. He didn't die. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos to prison, an 80 year old man to crack rocks. So John gets the revelation here. From Jesus, this symbolic meaning for people like Nero. And then after Nero, you had Domitian, who was doing the same thing, persecuting and killing Christians in a most brutal way. But they weren't the ones doing it. They had other people carrying out the orders that they gave. 
So you get the depiction. You have people in charge all throughout the world who are dictators like the one right now in the, the king of Syria. The king of Syria, by an order, will tell his, tell his army to go and gas those people that are, causing, that are causing us problems in our region. So they gas them. A most brutal death for the people there. Bloodshed. And how they die is most brutal. If you've ever seen somebody gasping for air and they're, and they're choking on gas and they're dying in a most brutal way, the dictator isn't the one doing it. The dictator is the one behind it giving the orders for other people to carry it out. So this is the white horse that you see symbolically. Now, would you say, is this spirit running rampant in the world today? Yes. Yeah, absolutely it is. It's not something that's going to come. It's something that's already here. Now, even our president, and I know a lot of you don't like our president, but even our president will give an order and there will be bloodshed. There will be bloodshed. Our, the Russian you hear about the, what's going on in, with America, what's going on with Russia? Yeah. Putin is a murderer. Putin gives the word and his people carry out the bloodshed. And so this is the type of horse, this is symbolic of a man of war, a man who gives orders, a man who conquers and is continuing to conquer. Well, who puts the people in this position? Who puts a, a leader in this position? The people do. The people elect these people and they put them in position to rule and reign and to be dictators. The people do this. And this is who they are. They make war. That's the first horse. They make war. Man is totally depraved, we teach you here. Man is a man of war. If, some, if somebody does something to us that we don't like, we're going to go to war. Now you have a lot of people going to war with each other. That's why you have a lot of gang violence. You mess with one neighborhood, the other one's going to retaliate because we will naturally wage war against one another. If you lose a fight, you're going to want to get revenge and sack revenge and come back and wage war against your enemy. But even if you can't win the fight, you're probably going to want to make sure that someone else will carry it out for you. This is the same type of spirit that's running rampant throughout American culture and throughout the entire world. Man is a man of war and revenge. But would it live opposite of that? Would it be peacemakers? That's the first horse. Verse 3 says this. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse. But this color was bright red. Bright red meaning when you cut yourself. What color is the blood immediately when you cut yourself? It's red. It gets purple later on, but right away when you get cut, it's red. So this is the rider, and it's, it's another horse, and this color is bright red, meaning bloodshed. Its rider was permitted to take what? Peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a, a great sword, which means he was given great authority, great authority. So here you have men of war with a white horse. People want to say it's the Antichrist, and you can say it's the Antichrist, but if you're not of God, you are considered, according to John, an Antichrist already. Yes. You don't believe in Jesus? You don't believe Jesus came in the flesh? Jesus is God? Jesus incarnate? If you don't believe this very thing, you are an Antichrist already. That's right. In verse 3, we talk about this horse here who's red, and it's a bright red horse. 
and its writer was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Now, we know that the sword means authority. We know that men are men of war. And, and sometimes we don't like negativity when it comes to our own situations. We don't want anybody, anybody messing with us. And if people do want to mess with us and my family and my situation, normally, as we should, we should be able to defend ourselves. But like in California, in Arizona, and throughout a lot of different countries, you have a lot of people who are involved in gang activity and they take lives from one another like nothing, like the drop of a dime. They just take life one after the other. There is no peace. Men cannot be at peace. The peace has been taken away from one another. That's why Christianity is powerful. We tell you that you've been wronged. If you've been wrong, what does Jesus say? If you strike me on the right cheek, we'll turn to the left as well. If you steal my coat, take the other one as well. Now it's tough for us to live by these standards that the Lord gives us because we don't want to be peaceful people. We want to strike retribution and get payback. We want revenge. We want revenge. We want it now. So it's hard for someone to say, just, yeah, you've been wrong, but just let it go. Let it go and know that God will handle it. Yes. But we don't live like that. We want to handle it. We want to play God. We want to deal with it. And if somebody comes and robs your house and you know who it was that robbed your house, what will you do? What will you do? Now in the world, when you're of the flesh, you're going to go take care of business. Because you want to make sure that you get your stuff back and destroy everything that they did to make them learn a lesson that they can't mess with you. But you know that if you've been robbed and you know who it is, or you, don't even, you know what, you're supposed to call the authorities, the authorities of the land, deal with it. But we want to get retribution. That's just how we are. Talk bad about me, talk bad about my family, and I'm going to shout something back even worse. But in Christianity, you are to let them talk bad about you. Let them say what they're going to say. And your response is the key thing back is the fact that you won't say anything back, but you will bless them and say, I'm just going to pray for you. And, and this is the response of the red horse. Even Christians want bloodshed. Christians who are supposed to be peacemakers want bloodshed. And we want it. And I can't wait. And I got to have it now. I need my payback. But we're not to live like that. We're to be peacemakers. And because this message is going forth, I'm praying that we're not challenged with this very thing. You leave this place, someone's going to mess with you. You leave this place, someone's going to come after you. You leave this place, you're going to be challenged with that very thing. You say, yes, amen, I'm going to be a peacemaker. Yes, amen, I know the Lord's going to have uh, his day of vengeance. I don't need to take it out. I don't need to walk that way. I'm going to be in peace. And then immediately when you leave here, you are going to be challenged with that very thing. So apply the word of God to your life. You are the opposite of the white horse. You are opposite of the red horse. So here you have in succession, if a man is making war and he's giving the authority for the others to carry it out, who is the one that's carrying out? It's the people who are living under rule and dictatorship of a corrupt leader, someone who doesn't believe in the Lord, someone who doesn't believe in this, but they take very life. Now you hear on the news 
of, of when a, um, one of the American soldiers are hurt or one of the American soldiers have died, it becomes news for us. And, and we mourn the loss of these young men who were giving their lives overseas. And we mourn the loss of that. But included in that are the lives that others are taking, the innocent lives of people who are just living in the region are being killed and they're, 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 the bombs will hit, the missiles will hit and an entire family's wiped out. That's the type of stuff you won't hear about in the news. The friendly fire, the killings of innocent children like the king in Syria was doing, killing innocent children with the gas. And all this life that's being taken is symbolic of the red horse that's running around the spirit that's running around taking and destroying lives. And a lot of families are mourning. And this morning, a lot of families are hurting because they lost children, they lost sons, they lost daughters in reckless war. And so this is the bloodshed that you're seeing. This isn't something that's going to happen in the future. This is something that's already happening now. And will continue to happen until the Lord returns. So you have succession, one who rules, and then the others who carry out the rule and commit murder. Then in, in verse 5, you have this. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature come. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. Okay, so this black horse is symbolic of fright, a frightening experience. It's a symbolic of mourning when one in Jewish customs is, is, loses a loved one, they're wearing black sackcloth. Us, when we go to funerals, I don't think a lot of us go to funerals wearing white. We go to funerals wearing black. And we show up and it's, it's a horse of mourning. It's symbolic of life that has been taken. But watch what happens because you have war and you have murder and this is what's happening. And this is what the black horse represents. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. What you have is a great famine. When wars happen throughout the world, you have famine. People don't eat. And also what happens here when America goes to war, you know when America goes to war and we have people over there fighting and you have a, a greater war, what happens to the prices at the stores? everything goes up. What happens to the gas prices? It goes up. Everything is affected because of war. Everything is affected and in some countries there's war and there is no food for them to eat. So they suffer and they die. You know how it is. Imagine I try to get you guys to fast for at least seven days. Some of you can fast for three days but some of you are mourning after only one day of not eating. Imagine no food. No food. It's scarce. You cannot eat because of war and killings and murder and all this stuff that's taking place, but there's no food to eat, it's going to put you in mourning. You're going you're gonna to mourn. You're, you're feeling loss. You're feeling this hunger that, that, that you, want to, you, want to, you want to eat. You have an appetite. You want to fill this hunger and remove it, but you can't. And it places you in a place of darkness and mourning. So if there is no food, what will you do? You will then try and go get it from somebody who has it. And you will take life to do it. And you will take life to do it. And so you have this currently happening now in overseas countries, small countries. 
that you have the rich people who won't take care of the poor people. You know that Africa is one of the greatest, richest nations in the world. But yet, the, there's rich parts of Africa, but in our, the outer parts of Africa, they're starving there. There's no food there. Because the people who are in rule there will not give what needs to be given to the people who are starving. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to give and help those who can't eat, those who don't have anything to buy, those who are struggling. That's what the church is supposed to do. So this is the life that we're supposed to live in opposition to this black horse. Not to keep food from anybody, not to have something to keep it for myself, but to give it to people who really need it. That's why he says, do not, though. So the Lord, the Lord tells us, and, and who's sovereign? Who's in control here? The riders of these horses? No. God is in control. There's a method to God, what he, why he's doing what he's doing by allowing these horses because it's symbolic of man's total depravity and why he allows this very thing. But we're to live in direct opposition of this black horse. But the final part of this, if denarius means, and you should know what denarius means, those of you who understand the Bible, denarius is a day's wage, a full day's wage. You work a whole day, you want to get paid for it. But listen what he says. I heard seemed to be a voice in verse 6. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. A quart of wheat? A day's wage for a quart of wheat? Prices have skyrocketed. And three quarts of barley for a day's wage. But he says this, the Lord says, And do not harm the oil and wine. Why not harm the oil? And why not harm the wine? Because you can keep all this other stuff and you can kind of rule and reign and keep all this other stuff, but everybody's going to need the oil and everybody's going to need the wine. This is symbolic of God providing even the poor's daily needs. He says to, he says, consider the ravens of the field. They, that he even provides for the birds of the field. And that God will even make a way to provide for his people who are going through famine. Wine meaning like symbolic, symbolic for medicinal purposes. Back then, a little wine, the Bible says a little wine for your infirmities. That's why others would drink wine. Others would drink wine just to get drunk. But wine sometimes would help your stomach issues. You guys know what, what it was like when you drink NyQuil? It kind of puts you to sleep. And oil, everybody needs oil. The rich and the poor will even be provided with oil. So God is providing every need everything but famine always follows war and you don't hear about it because here in america if we go to war we're still gonna have enough food here but the prices go up you start paying paying double for everything but notice its succession one who rules goes to war secondly the other one carries out the killings thirdly you have a great famine and this is what you have here number four because people don't know christ this is what you have in verse 7, it says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, what did he say? Come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse, a pale horse. This doesn't mean um, like a pale skin color. This means like the color here, it's, it's supposed to be a representation of green, like rigor mortis, like a green color of decay. And its writer's name was what? Death and Hades followed him. Or this is a, 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 a picture of a corpse. And its rider was death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with what? The sword? To kill with what? Famine, hunger, and to kill with pestilence, with, with pestilence meaning disease. So throughout the world today, 
That's why we proclaim the gospel each and every Sunday. We let you know that the gospel message every Sunday will go forth, that Christ paid our sin debt. He sets us free. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to unrighteousness. But because of the shed blood of Christ and the work that he did for us before he went to the cross, we are then made free. We are then forgiven because of what God incarnate does for us, that we have life eternal, eternal life. That's why we come to the house of God to worship, to thank God because we are saved, to thank God that we, that we have been delivered and set free so we worship him. Some of us come to church because we want to hear about our finances. Some of us come to church because we want to see if my relationship's going to work out. You're coming to church for the wrong reason. You should be coming to church to worship the one who created you, the one who set you free, the one who gives you eternal life. Why? Because this horse is riding. The spirit is riding. Every day, somebody dies. I, I don't, haven't done this in a long time, and I don't even know if they have this anymore, but in the newspapers, they always had this obituary section. I've never I haven't read them. They still have that? Okay, in the obituary section, there's a bunch of people that died today. Died yesterday, and they will die tomorrow. And a lot of them don't know Christ, so guess where they will go? They will be like this writer, this dead body going to Hades for all of eternity. And a lot of people that we know and we love are going there as well. If we don't share the good news of the gospel, if we don't share and say boldly and proclaim that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. How are they dying? How are these people dying? Is this a future horse that's going to come? Absolutely not. This is something that's happened in the past. This is something that's currently happening in the present. How does this horse or this representation of hell do it how does he kill people these are christless people and they die by the sword they kill one another they kill one another in war and i'll never forget the story of pat tillman and we we know pat tillman here because he was uh, he grew up with arizona state the college there he was a great college football player and he he he, he was just something it was something special about pat tillman then he went on to play in the nfl and when he was in the NFL, um, he, for his size and for where he came from, no one thought he could make it, but he made it and was a great NFL safety. And he could hit really hard for his size. And so when he signed this huge contract with the Cardinals and he was making money, but when 9-11 hit, he decided to let go of that contract and go enlist and make a tiny amount of money to do what's right, as he felt was to honor the, the death and the suffering that happened here and become an American soldier. It was an incredible story. And I can remember people saying that when he, when he had died by friendly fire, he was killed by his own company. And when he died by friendly fire and the funeral was happening and, and, and they were saying things about Pat Tillman's life and he's with God now. And then his brother came up there and nobody ever says this, but his brother came up there behind there and said he died in war. But you guys know he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in God. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. We would, we would argue about some of those things. He didn't believe in God. And so that's like one of the things that you remember most about his life is that what a great individual and the things he stood for, but yet did not know Christ. There's a lot of good people in this world and there's a lot of people that do good things and they say that we're good people and we're good people that we're going to get to heaven based on our good works, but you will not get to heaven based on your good works. The only way that you will get to heaven is for his righteousness to be imputed unto you and you give him your fill. And the Lord gives you his righteousness and he sees you stand before God. He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus standing before you. His righteousness. He sees his son standing before you. He doesn't see Gabe. He sees his son standing in front of Gabe, which saves me, which saves you. How are they dying in war? How are they dying? They're dying of hunger. How are they dying? They're dying with disease, cancers, and AIDS, 
and all type of different diseases that are, have been unleashed throughout the world. This is how they are dying. But notice this one here. How, how else are they dying? And they're dying by what? Wild beasts of the earth. Wild beasts of the earth. We know that Daniel was fed, to the, was fed to the lions. Christians have been fed to the lions. The lions have been devouring Christians. Could you imagine being a Christian and thrown into a den where a lion was going to take you out? And that was the way you were going to die? Beast of the field. People are being killed even to this very day. Animals will kill you. Remember that show when animals attack? Animals will kill you. And if some of you have a pit bull, that pit bull make it. Wow, they, they, they're very violent. But some of y'all going to get offended by that, but I'm just saying. Because you love your pit bulls. Funny thing about that, this morning I was coming to church, there was, there was this, this young girl, she had two of them, and they were huge, they were sitting in their car, and she was driving, and the windows were open, and she was just petting them. And them things looked at me like, they, was, they were like, wow, that head was so big. But the point is, that beasts of the field take out human lives. That's how they die. It wasn't supposed to be like that in the beginning, now was it? But this is how many are being killed by the beast of the earth. Verse 9 says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain for the word of God. It says he saw the altar of souls under. That's because Christ was the sacrifice for us. But the souls were under of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And then they cried out, verse 10, with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you would judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the prayers and the pleas from those who have been martyred. They're praying, speaking to God in heaven. And, and when they're speaking to God in heaven, let's not get it. Let's get, it, let's get this thing correct. These are prayers from the people, from the saints of God who have been martyred. They're, they're wearing the white robes. They've conquered. Why did they conquer? Because they overcame death. They faced death and were killed, but yet they conquered because they have life eternal. So they conquered. These are the ones that conquered. They're there and they're crying out to God and they're asking for their blood to be avenged, but they're not calling out to God and yelling at God. They're praying to God. Praying to God. So there's not any kind of rebellion in heaven going, why won't he do it? When will he do it? I'm tired of waiting for that person who killed me. I want to see him. Justice. I want to see justice. Him face justice. This is the type of thing. These are the prayers of the saints. This goes back to the bowl that was poured out. The, the prayers of the martyrs, the incense. Remember what gives God a great smelling fragrance unto heaven? What is a great smelling fragrance unto God? Is the death of one of his saints. That lets off a beautiful fragrance to the one who didn't bow down to Caesar. The one who didn't bow down to compromise to the worldly things of the world. But the one who faithfully served the Lord until the day he died. That brings a sweet smelling fragrance unto God. So these are the souls of those who conquered. But the Lord is telling them, watch what he says in verse 11. Then each were given a white robe. How do we know they were given a white robe? Because the Lord says that he will give us a white robe, which is symbolic of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And they told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There'll be, there was many martyrs throughout church history, as we read from the first uh, from the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter of these churches, how many were killed for the name of the Lord, and there will be many more that will be killed for the Lord's sake. And this is representative of those who died in Christ. And so then you got verse 12 here. 
when he opened the sixth seal, and this is very key because people read books, write books about these very things. But I want you to remember this is symbolic. This is a symbolic book in, in the literature that's written and the writer and why he wrote it. It goes back to the Old Testament. Old Testament was always symbolic with numbers and images in Jewish writings. So here's what you have. Just remember, judgment is going to take place. The people who are martyred, the people that are crying out for justice, they're crying out for God to revenge, to sack revenge on their enemies. And verse 12 says this, And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. This is the second coming of Christ. This is the judgment of Christ coming to the earth. So what happens here is if the judgment of Christ is coming, the judgment of the Lord upon the earth, creation is shaken. Everything is then placed out of order. There is a great earthquake. But here, notice here, and this is why it's, it's funny when you, can, when you hear about people trying to, ter- to uh, interpret what this means, and the sun became black as sackcloth. What did I just tell you black meant? The rider horse was, was one of mourning, was one of mourning because someone had died, so you, you are suffering. It's a, it's a time of a fright and suffering. And the sun became black, so the sun becomes black. Now, when you go outside and you see the sun, the sun in Old Testament times was, you can tell what time of the day if the sun is shining, can you not? Yes. You, you can follow the sun and know what time of day it is. And, and the sun is symbolic of God's long suffering on the earth. So if judgment comes and God says the sun has now turned black, that means his long suffering is, has been removed. He's patiently waited, waited. Now he's no longer waiting. He's ready to destroy the earth now. The Lord is about to return. So it's a depiction of his long suffering removed. Many of us can relate to the patience of God because we have been through so much. And then finally, the Lord does something amazing and touches our life and turns us around and brings us to him. But his enemies and long suffering has been removed. It's been removed. And then this is what happens. The moon became like blood, bloodshed. Bloodshed. It's symbolic of bloodshed. How do we know that? We just talked the red horse and what it meant. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, meaning fire, his judgment, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Verse 14 says this, and this is why you are always supposed to read the book of Revelation symbolically. And if you don't, then you're going to have to read this and say, what is this world? What does this mean here? What is the Lord trying to say? Verse 14 says this, the sky vanished. It disappeared like a scroll, which is a paper, a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And look, watch this. In verse 15, the kings of the earth, the ones in the, who, who are the white horse, the kings of the earth, the rulers and the dictators, the great ones, meaning the ones who are rich, and the generals, the ones who, who put out the death and who, and who carry out the orders, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, which means you're still going to have the poor, you're still going to have the rich, those in bondage, and those who are set free. What they do? They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And because they see this great judgment, this great judgment happening. Who do they call on for help? Who do they call on for help? Look who they call on for help. 16, calling to the what? Mountains and rocks. 
They didn't call to God. They called to creation. They didn't call on God even during this great destruction that was taking place. They didn't turn and repent. Why does man not turn and repent? Because he can't turn and repent unless God gets a hold of him and turns him around just like he got hold of all of you. Even this great destruction and the depiction of God's judgment on the earth, these people did not repent. How do we know this is symbolic and how do we know this is the truth? Did the, did the Egyptians repent? After all those great judgments came from God, when Moses was being used, none of them turned to repent. But they wanted revenge, and they went after the Israelites, but God swallowed them up in the Red Sea. So when judgment comes, that's why you have to preach the gospel. And I heard this, this, this dialogue between a guy named Todd Frail and, a, and an atheist. And he said, well, why don't you believe? Because I don't believe the Bible. Anybody could have wrote the Bible. The Bible's not true. The Bible, but no, we know that the Bible is true. There's evidence that the Bible is true. Archaeological evidence about the Bible being true. It's just true. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's God's word. It's the truth. And this guy says, well, if Jesus came down, if Jesus came down right now, then I'll believe. And Todd says, you know what? You're not even going to believe even if Jesus came down. You still won't believe. Because man's heart is so hard, they will not turn to Christ. That's why we have to share the good news of the gospel. Even these people during times of judgment, when the great day of the Lord comes, still won't repent. They call on the mountains and rocks. They call on the creator, on the creation and not the creator. And it says this. And who, what do they say? They say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him because they're well aware of who he is, who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And it says this, who can stand? So we're, we're told who's going to be able to stand this? Who's going to be able to withstand this very thing, this judgment that's coming to the earth, this, this, this releasing of the seals and this judgment that's come to the earth? Who can stand? Who was able to stand during this wrath? Who? Who is it? I'm looking at it right now. You're the ones that are going to stand. You're the one that can stand during this great judgment. You are the ones. Why? Because you've been sealed. And we're going to find out next week who the 144,000 are. I'm looking at them now. Amen. And I can say dogmatically that the 144,000 in chapter 7 is not Jehovah's Witnesses. Nope. Let us pray. We are opening up this altar for you to come forth to pray with you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at His feet we bow.
said he has to pay.
them off. I'm not pulling them off. Oh, yeah, they're fine. I thought you just said, do I want you to pull them off? Hey, they're comfortable, bro.
Never turn. <laughs> <laughs> 